Hey everyone, I'm Gracie. Welcome to the Grace of Military Child podcast. The world should know how unique military children are. We may look like normal children on the outside, but we go through some pretty extraordinary circumstances that shape us to the leaders we are today. Keep listening to hear the incredible journey this week's guest has been on. Hi, Celeste. Welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Grace. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course, I'm doing pretty well. So start off telling me a little bit about um, your parent who served and kind of what it was like traveling and if you did any traveling and how much and things like that. Uh, Well, it was my father who was in the military. He was in the Army and uh, combat engineer and communications. And um, we did a lot of traveling. We are originally, our family's from New York City, so um, we're a little bit different um, somewhat than your typical military family um, who normally come from, you know, more, you know, middle America, so to speak, or, but um, we, we lived in Germany, Karlsruhe, Heilbronn, um, Nuremberg, Um, And then I was also an army wife who at the time then I was in Mannheim, but we also lived in at Fort Stewart, Fort Bliss, Fort Hood, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can tell kind of what is it like, you know, you mentioned you're an army wife as well. What is it like, you know, making that transition from, you know, being a military kid and having your father serve to then stepping into that role as a wife? Um, well, I mean, it's obviously it's a smoother transition from someone who comes from being a military child because we're already used to the culture and the lifestyle. So I think I had an easier transition than say, um, your typical military wife who maybe didn't have that experience. So I thought it was, it was a little bit smoother for me and, it gave me that, you know, comfort of still, you know, not being, not being banished from the kingdom, so to speak, (laughs) (laughs) that that many uh, military uh, children experience when they age out. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, I'm getting to that point in my life where I'm turning 20 this year and, you know, thankfully I'm still under my, my dad's, um, all of his benefits and stuff because I stayed in college. I went to to college, but now it's like, okay, well, you know, what's life going to look like after um, and things like that. And, you know, I'm dating a Marine right now. So that's, you know, one thing, but, you know, still it's like that, you know, it was always the question of, okay, well, I'm not going to be under, where's my little ID card going to (laughs) go? Like, you know, it's cool carrying that around. It's certainly, um, it's, it's, a sense of peace and security, knowing that there's that that safety net to go on base and and have a whole culture and community that that's there for you. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Did you um, get to live on many different military bases when you were growing up and experience that? Or did you kind of live off base and experience more of a civilian life growing up? No, more of a, an on base life. Um you know, there were times when my family lived on the economy, but that was usually just brief periods until, you know, housing was available and then we would move on base. Did you prefer living on base? Um, 
I don't know that I had a specific preference at the time, but in retrospect, I do think you get more of, you receive more of that community feel being on base than, um, you know, being out on your own on the economy, especially overseas. Right. Because it's a whole new culture over there and you've kind of got some, uh, American lifestyle when you're living on base rather than when you're living on the economy and off base. Absolutely. Absolutely. Spent a lot of time on the economy because, you know, that, that was one of the things, even though maybe you don't appreciate it when you're 14, 15 years old, you certainly appreciate it later in life. The, the ability to have, you know, stood firsthand in, in moments of history, so to speak. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. What kind of experiences did you have living in another country too? Because, you know, civilians really don't get to experience that and say, hey, I lived in another country growing up. Like, you know, that's that's a whole new thing. But military kids, you know, a good handful of us have had that experience. Yes. And um, again, I th- I think for me personally, while... I did appreciate the history of it because I've always kind of been a history buff and being able to, um, you know, go to castles and, you know, unfortunately it's obviously a a terrible stain on our world history, but even being able to go to places like Dachau and Auschwitz and, and understand firsthand really what took place rather than just from a textbook, I think put me in a place of, you know, that other say civilian American kids don't normally get to experience as well as the diversity. I, and I feel like I've carried the ability to kind of be a chameleon and meet people where they, who they are and where they are from being so well-traveled and immersed in other cultures. Yeah, because you kind of have to, even if you are moving in within, you know, the the lower 48 or, you know, the United States, you know, you have to, there's so many different cultures. You have to be able to adapt. I lived in Ohio, Texas, and Florida. And sure, they're all like East Coast states. <laughs> sure, two of them are in the South, but they're so different. There's so many different cultures. You know, Texas has that, you know, that really Southern feel. It has, you know, a lot of um, Hispanic heritage in it. And then you come to Florida and we have a lot of Puerto Rican and Dominican Republic and um, Cuban. Cuban. Yep. That's what I was thinking. Um, In Ohio, you know, there's so many different cultures just all over the United States. But then you add another country into that and moving to another country, then you have to really be able to adapt to that country and that culture there. Absolutely. And 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 people in other countries and even in other states, they appreciate that. You know, they appreciate people who come and don't try to make them adapt to who they are. Mm -hmm. But that genuinely want to embrace and learn about their culture. Yeah. And that's really important. And it's something that, you know, military children are more exposed to because we are moving, we're always on the go and even living, you know, on base, it's not just, you know, all American kids necessarily, because you have kids that came from Germany, came from, you know, Japan or wherever they were last stationed or they have been stationed, you know, they're all coming in 
we're just kids mixed culture and like you know you never know what you can expect from a military uh, child and it's important to be able to especially meet them where they are and you know accept them from who they are and what their background is absolutely and it's something that you know and through no fault of their own obviously but civilian kids they they just can't understand because they've you know maybe they grew up in the same you know area that their parents are from and so just and then that's all, I mean, my husband's like that he you know he grew up in Pennsylvania in the Lehigh Valley and that's where we live now you know yeah and uh he doesn't understand it and it's I've met a lot of people in my travels that just can't comprehend it or they they thought I was lying when I said I lived all these places or, you know. It seems and, so surreal. Yeah. They're like, she didn't live in Europe. <laughs> you know? uh, so it's been interesting. But again, in, you know, when you're being moved around a lot, sometimes it's, it's hard, as you know, as a kid. But in retrospect, it's it's an upbringing that I I just cherish and I try to utilize in every part, every aspect of my life. Now, a lot of people tell me I'm a little too rigid (laughs) (laughs) Um, because I think things should be a certain way, but I am usually right. (laughs) (laughs) And, and, B, it's just the, the culture we're brought up in on military bases. There, there's a, a hierarchy and there's an organized way of doing things to reach your goals. And I speak with other military adult, you know, who were kids. They all say the same thing. Do people tell you you're bossy? And we're like, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes I understand that. Oh my I, gosh. I thought I was the only one. I actually thought I was bossy. <laughs> Maybe I am. But, um, no, that's the way the military, like, you know, technically raises us. You know, we're obviously raised by our parents, but, you know, in a sense, the military has, you know, a lot of influence on the way we're raised. And, you know, we are very organized. I have a planner everywhere I go because I'm like, you know, have to be that organized. And, you know, people are like, you do what? You you write everything out? Like, yes, because that's the way I was raised. You know, everything has an order. And even, you know, in in college, like, it's that you have to have your life in order to actually be able to succeed. And that's one thing that the military life has taught me is that, if you want to be able to succeed, you have to be able to put one foot in front of the other at every single moment in time, no matter what circumstance you're in, and then you'll be able to get to wherever you want to go. Absolutely. And, you know, when you're organized, it's easier to pivot when something exactly. unexpectedly, you know? <laughs> yeah. You never know what could happen. Like, you never know. And the military, it really does teach you that. It does. And teaches you a strong work ethic. And it teaches you that things you don't, you shouldn't procrastinate. Mm -hmm. 
you know, people always say, Slash, relax, it'll get done. I'm like, yeah, it'll get done because I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, and I've had to, I've had to learn to kind of adapt to other people as well like that and not expect everyone to be so, you know, scheduled as I am, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and let people do things at their own pace. Yes. I dread group projects because of that. So many people do things last minute and I'm like, um, this is not the way we're going to work here. <laughs> like if I'm in your group, then we're going to get things done on time. We're going to, you know, make our little schedule of this is going to be done by this day and so on and so forth. And that's how we're going to do it. Well, you can come work for me anytime <laughs> because working in politics, everything's a group project. Yes. And, uh, it, it, it gets interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And when you don't have like so many people like, you know, like us, like military kids and um, even just people in general who are raised, you know, on a schedule and to follow a schedule and follow a time like that, it's going to be like, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be a mess no matter where you go. I know. I said that all the time. I'm like, it's anarchy around here. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And sometimes you got to just be that person to step in and take charge and be like, okay, this is how. I and most of the time you end up looking like the bad guy, but you know, hey, it gets done. You know, things, things are done properly, but you know, sometimes you just have to act like the bad guy for a little bit too. Well, absolutely. And that's something that I don't, you know, no one wants to be the bad guy, but exactly. I think that's something else that comes from the military culture of if you know that something's not right and you, you, it's your job to speak up. Mm -hmm. So I speak up even if it's not going to make me popular sometimes, but um, it, people do respect that. And I appreciate that they respect that. Yeah, I was always the kid growing up in school. And so, I mean, even before, because my dad had a seven-year break in service. And so when I was, um, you know, a toddler, he got out. And then so like most of my childhood, childhood, he was out of the service. Um, but, you know, we were still raised with the military values because obviously he knew them and he was instilling them in us. But I was the kid who... You know, when we were in school and sitting in class and we had homework that was supposed to be submitted or due or a test that had to be taken, I was a kid who raised my hand and was like, um, we were supposed to submit our homework or we were supposed to take this test today and we're not taking it. Like, what's happening? I was that kid. And uh, a lot of people are like, you did what? <laughs> Why are you ruining it for the rest of us? <laughs> I know. And I'm like but we had a homework assignment due where we had a test to take. And, you know, I, I also love school. So. <laughs> exactly. I spent all night, you know, studying. I did my spelling words last night, you know, whatever the case may have been. But, you know, that's just, you have to be the bad guy sometimes. And not yeah. everyone's going to like it. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, besides the, those things about us that I think are a double-edged sword, I think military kids, by and large, we have an ability to connect with every walk of life because we don't judge any walk of life. And we've learned that every person has something of value to teach us and that we can make a part of who we are. 
Yeah. And that's that's important. It's so important. And, you know, it's sad that not everyone realizes that. And no matter what your background is, no matter if you were a military child or a civilian child or, you know, what, how you were um, raised growing up, like it's something that should be instilled in everyone, especially in the world today where, you know, in just America alone, there's so many different cultures, so many different backgrounds. You know, it's something that's important to realize and be taught when you're younger so you don't have to learn it when you're older. Absolutely. I mean, America, we are a melting pot. We are a yes. country of immigrants and we are our ancestors who came here brought with them wonderful things about, you know, our heritage that I think would be wonderful if we all shared more of that and learned about each other, I think would be able to not be so divided. Yeah. And that's one thing that's so, uh, it's, it's so public right now that there's so many divisions within just one country alone. And so even in the States, like states, cities, like there, there's so many divisions. And so like, if we were just able to accept everyone for who they are, if we're able to accept their backgrounds, accept their cultures, accept their ideas, their everything about them, it would be so much of a smoother country. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, but yeah, we are, our country's in a, in a place right now. I think I believe in us. I think we can get through it, but we all have to stop listening. And I say this on both sides of the aisle, regardless of what your political affiliation is, we all have to stop listening to the loudest, Mm -hmm. most far reaching part of the conversation and understand that the loudest people in the room aren't always the majority. Yes, that's <laughs> so true. Uh, the majority is usually kind of somewhere there in the middle, just trying to, you know, make a good life for themselves. And we need more of that. <laughs> yeah. And one thing like, you know, that was taught to me growing up is that sometimes the quietest people have the best ideas too. And like, you can't always listen to that loudest person. Uh, You can't always just rely on one person. Like you have to, you know, it's a group effort. I know I said I hate group projects and I still do, but it is a group effort. Like you have to rely on everyone because everyone going back to what you said about those ideas and those values, everyone has something to offer and you have to be able to realize that. Yes. We just have to, you know, sometimes get out of our own heads and listen. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And and And, I try to do, you know, in my, in every career I've had, I was in corporate America on Fifth Avenue. And then I transitioned into more of a passion into politics. And um, I I try to do that in, in every aspect of my life. I don't ever walk into a room assuming anything about a person or their ideals, ideas, I listen to what they have to say and that's my starting point. <laughs> yeah. And that's always a good place to start. And that's what, you know, the military teaches their, their service members and in turn their, the families in general is to, to really take a second and listen to every single person in the room and to appreciate what everyone has to offer and value. 
absolutely, absolutely. And I had the opportunity this year, not that I've not had them in the past, but usually it's just been bad timing for me to go to my Carlsruhe American High School all year high school reunion this past year in Denver. It was the first year I went, even though I was invited plenty of times and I've been in contact with folks. Um, it was so inspiring. I ha- I can't even tell you. I thought it would be fun to see some people. It was, it was really cathartic for me and emotional. Like I'm getting emotional right now talking about it because first of all, to see people I hadn't seen in 30, 40 years, some of them. Right. And feeling like we didn't have 30, 40 years between us, just having that love and that connection and that un- that unspoken understanding, but also having that same thing with people that maybe they were stationed there, but at a different time that I was. And yet we had the same experiences and the same connections and everyone coming at it from that place of acceptance of each other um, and our ideals. I mean, and like, look, We'll just say, you know, today in America, we have a very polarizing political climate, very polarizing. Everyone has very strong opinions. And there were people there that had very different opinions from me and vice versa. And most, there's no secret what I do for a living and who I do it for. (laughs) And um, there was never, ever a single crossword. Yeah. Everyone, you know, and we spoke about politics, but we spoke about it from a communal place of the thing, our values and the things that are important to us and of mutual respect. And we even said, if only the rest of the country could speak like this, what a wonderful, we could really solve problems, you know? <laughs> yeah. But it's those, those small events too, that are like, so eye-opening to You know, even like you said, we could have been here at a different point of our lives and, you know, we can still come together and be like, okay, you know, like we have these certain experiences that we've shared, you know, again, maybe at different points in life, but they're still the same that they still have that much impact on your life. And it's just incredible to, you know, even connect with those old people like, you know, that you used to be friends with. And, you know, even when I moved here and I moved to Florida and I lost connection with so many of my friends in Texas, and then I found connection with them again. And it's like, oh my gosh, no time has passed. I can still have conversations with you. Like it was yesterday we were, you know, sitting on the swings and during recess and just, you know, talking about who knows what, you know, like you can have those experiences again. Oh, I know. It was wonderful. When I married in 2005, um, my second marriage, when I married in 2005, I hadn't, you know, the internet was still relatively new. Right. (laughs) Um, And, but I had been able to reconnect with a couple of my really good friends from back in Carlsruhe days. And they were at my wedding in New York. And one of them was one of the, you know, read scripture at my wedding. And it it was just so wonderful to be able to have that part of my life present. Yeah. It's so, 
you know, it's just those times where it's like, okay, you know, you're here for, you know, in this season of my life, but then decades can go on years and years can go by. And it's like, okay, we're still friends. Like we may have not talked for, you know, eight years, but we're still friends. Like, you know, we'd still, we say we haven't seen our friends that, you know, we hung around and we were with in Texas for like eight years. Some of them I haven't seen in like 10, you know, (laughs) it's just that way, but we still keep in touch every once in a while. And it's still like that thing of, okay, if you need something, I will get on a plane and I'll be there in a second to help you or do anything. And they're the same way with us. Like even um, (laughs) when a hurricane was coming through, um, Hurricane Irma, was like, okay, well, we need to get out of here. <laughs> like we need to go. And um, we called our friends that lived a couple hours away that we met in Texas. And we were like, hey, can we come stay? Like we, we more or less said we were on our way. <laughs> like it was yeah. that kind of thing. Hey, and we're coming. We're coming. <laughs> and, you know, they kind of had invited us and everything, but it was like, okay, we're coming now. And then we're going to reevaluate. And we had other friends that lived a couple hours Um away then. And we were like, okay, well, that's going to be our next stop if we have to. And we hadn't seen them again in like, you know, eight years, but it it was our next stop because we trusted them. We knew that they would be there to welcome us if we needed. And that's that military family. Well, yes, because we are also raised with fierce. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the, it's the, leave, you know, you don't leave your men behind kind of. Yes. Um, we're, we're raised with that fierce loyalty. And I, I know that I have that sometimes to a fault, even to today, I will, I'll go down with someone. If, if that's what it takes, I'm not going to save myself and let somebody go down that, you know, I'm loyal and it's important. It's important to know that people have your back and that people know you have theirs. Yeah. And, you know, I always say if I've known you for, you know, my entire life or, you know, maybe even a couple days, couple hours, like, you know, if you show me that respect too, then there's nothing that I wouldn't do. Like I will move heaven and earth if I have to, like, you know, it's just that thing and that loyalty and that fierce loyalty that's so different about us that, you know, it stands out. It sticks out in a crowd. We never... I do not even remember a single day where there was a kid sitting at the lunch table by themselves. Like, I don't remember that. And if there was, somebody went and sat next to them right away. Like, it was just that sort of thing where in public schools that you'll see kids sitting alone and that's just sad. And then, you know, there's no one to sit with them, nobody to welcome them or talk to them or whatever the case may be. But you never see that in military ran schools. No, absolutely not. You know, it's, it's, let's face it too, especially on in a military basis, that sort of thing's frowned upon. Yeah. You know, I mean, while yes, your father's career should not hinge on your adolescent behavior. <laughs> <laughs> that being said, there's, there's something to be said for understanding, you know, how your behavior reflects on other people, Yeah, you, you know, too. You know, no one wants to. That's the worst day ever. If your father is called into his commander's office and told to, quote, control your dependent. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) 
It's, but it, it teaches us that there are things out there that are far more important to it than just us. Because yeah. especially like when you hit your teenage years, teenagers, I don't care how good of a kid you are. It's natural. Teenagers are self-absorbed. It's right. part of who we're supposed to be to learn who we are. But it, it teaches you not to be so self-absorbed when you understand that everything that you do and your father does or your mother and your family is for a greater good. I mean, everywhere I go to this day, I understand I am representing. If I'm in another country, I'm representing the United States of America. Yeah. If I'm doing something for work, I'm representing that candidate or that organization or um, whatever it is. And I take that seriously. Yeah. And in a sense, like, you know, I'm an adult. I'm my own person now, even though, you know, I still live at home and things like that. And I'm, you know, getting myself out there. I still represent my dad. Mm-hmm. I still represent everything he stood for, everything he fought for. I still represent that. And I'm still, even till the day I die, you know, I represent him. I represent the country. I represent everything, you know, that America has. Like, and you have to be prideful in that too, in a sense that, exactly, you cannot, if you step out of line, (laughs) you know, that's sure that might be uh, the action you took, but that's going to reflect on everything else you have going for you. Yes. And I think accountability is important. Again, you know, no one's perfect, not even military kids. Right. (laughs) We try. Um, Yes. But I think it's important to understand to, to not just expect to be held accountable for what you've done, but hold yourself accountable and try to fix it. If If you've done something that you can fix, fix it, you know, yeah. hold yourself accountable and say, I'm sorry, I'm correcting it. You yeah. know, my dad always told me, and he still tells me if I screw up, he's like, every action has a reaction. And, you know, if you have a good action, then it's going to be a good reaction, hopefully. But if you have a bad action, then you're probably going to get bad reaction too. Right. And, and so you have to be able to do that. You have to be able to own up to those mistakes and, um, say, I'm sorry, you know, things like that. Say, I'm sorry. And then actively hold yourself accountable to not continue that behavior. Exactly. You know, you see a lot of folks who they tell you they're sorry. And then the next thing you know, well, you're not really sorry because you did it a week later. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to, to recognize the error and, and do your very best to not, do it again. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, what piece of advice would you give to military children of any generation and, you know, the military children that are coming up? What would you tell them? I would tell them, first of all, I mean, for military kids now, because they're, you know, I was, I was fortunate that, you know, while my father was in Vietnam, I was too young to remember any of that. So I was fortunate that my father served in peacetime most, you know, he, um, that I could recollect because I know that a lot of kids don't have that right now. And I would say, 
I know you're scared, but try not to be, you know, be brave. That's what your parents need. Um, whatever you're, if you have, you know, if you're of a certain faith, pray to that higher power and do everything that you can do as a member of your family to make it easy on all of you stick together. And when you're transferred around, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, especially if you're maybe not outgoing or something to have to pack up. It may be hard now, but do your best to remember things, embrace them, because I can promise you, you will genuinely appreciate it in adulthood and don't and be true to be true to yourself and your values. If you do that, you'll you'll get through whatever hard times you're going to face and you will be a better, well-rounded adult prepared to meet your goals when, when that time comes as well. Um, just a quick little, very short story. When I got married in 2005, uh, Toby Keith's American Soldier song was pretty popular. Yes. And especially when I was a teenager, I gave my father a lot of problems. I was very angry for a while. And I used to tell him every time we had to move, you're ruining my life. I hate you. I hate this. And at my wedding, and he had no idea that this was going to happen. There wasn't a dry eye in the house, by the way. I cry still when I tell it. <laughs> um, that's what I did my father-daughter dance to as American soldier. And I just gave a short speech. I said, I know I wasn't the easiest teenager to deal with. And I made your life hell sometimes and told you how you ruined mine. But I want to tell you, you didn't ruin mine. I'm so proud of you and the life that we gave, you know, to serve this country. And not only did I replay that and he was dancing and he just kept telling me, you know, it was like, wow, I really love this. Thank you. But I had it planned with my younger sisters that at that they would cut in and they would also dance with him. And at the end, myself and two of my younger sisters, we were all up there with our dad dancing together and had this really wonderful kind of group hug movement with him. That's so special. So it was, it was a way to bring that, you know, back into my civilian life. And like I said, I had some military friends there, but most were my civilian colleagues and, and friends and our college friends and this and that. And it was something that I know my whole family will remember always. Yeah. And it gave me that opportunity to publicly tell them, I'm sorry, you didn't actually ruin my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's so hard, you know, moving around and, you know, okay, so my story is a little different. So like I said earlier, my dad had that seven year break in service. I was, you know, raised in a civilian world. Well, in 2010, um, I was like eight years old. He said, okay, I'm going to go back in. I'm going to join again. And um, he was in, uh, he actually said that in 2009. Like 2009, 10 time frame. Yeah. Yeah. So he um, he rejoined 
And then in 2011, he stepped on an IED in Afghanistan on a deployment. And so, you know, I didn't get much military life. He was reserved. So we lived in the same, the same house that I grew up in, you know, and we then had to move to Texas for his recovery. And so that was hard, especially because I had never moved my entire life. I had all my same friends, you know, I went to the same school. I had the same house, the same routine. And then, you know, we had to pack up our stuff and move, uh, which was a long story anyways, but (laughs) we had to move to Texas for his recovery. And I just remember, you know, sitting in the hotel room, sitting in the Fisher house and being like, I'm going to go back to Ohio. Like I'm (laughs) done here. I'm going to go back to Ohio. I said that for like six months. And then when we moved to Florida, he ended up retiring because he couldn't serve anymore. So he retired and we moved to Florida and I was 12. And I, for three years, said, I'm moving back to Texas. <laughs> I'm going back to Texas. And it literally got to the point one day where they were like, my both my parents looked at me and were like, okay, well, we're not going back to Texas. But if you would like to go to Texas, you can go ahead and pack your stuff up in a suitcase and we'll get you on a flight. Like you have to then you're going to have to figure out how to survive there. And I went, okay, thanks for the reality check. You know, we're in Florida right now and I'm going to try and try and like this year. But for some kids, it's not easy moving and it's not easy, you know, doing, you know, even I didn't have a overseas move, but that I could imagine how difficult that is. And so we grow this resentment towards our service member, towards the family. And, you know, it's not my dad's decision. You know, he didn't he didn't want to go over there and step on an ID and, you know, move us to Texas. He didn't. We we did want to move to Florida, but you know, we didn't want to move here in this way. Like, you know, we didn't want to do any of that. Nothing was necessarily planned the way it was. But we grow this resentment where it's like, OK, well, it's your fault. Like <laughs> you were the one who joined like you. You're the one moving us like it's your fault. But in reality, it's not. And that's the hardest thing to realize. Well, yeah. And I mean, look, when you're a kid, you don't, the only thing you look at is if you're upset about something, there must be someone to blame. Exactly. <laughs> and you find the person to blame and you blame them for it. Right. I mean, who, who was I going to pr- blame? You know? Yeah. There was nobody um, else. Yeah. And I mean, even when I was blaming him, I did, I didn't hate him. I love my father, but like every time I have to move, I'd be like, you know, it's frustrating, uh, you know, cursing and throwing things in boxes. And yeah, <laughs> but um, in retrospect, I'm, I'm so glad that that's who I am. I mean, I still think that even if we'd have never left New York, I still would have had a more culturally rounded upbringing just by virtue of its New York City. Right. But not not like this and not this experience. And, you know, look, I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's isolating around my civilian friends when they've all, like where I live here, like, some of my closest friends all grew up together, all went to high school together. They're all still around. I'm fortunate that they have made me one of them. But when they're off to Liberty High School, you know, reunion, that's not that's not someplace that I'm at. <laughs> right. Know? It's that weird trying to, you know, fit in, but 
you don't fit in and you know it's so weird and so so challenging you know I when we moved to Florida I started dancing um and I went to this dance studio and everything but all of these girls had been dancing there since they were two here I am as a 12 year old I've never taken a dance class before walking in you know stepping on my own feet like you know trying to figure this out and everyone's like what's her be what's her deal like people can be mean I know (laughs) I know tell me about it but you know it's that it's so it's so challenging trying to we move around and sure we know how to adapt but the world around us does not adapt to us and you know you have to try and figure that out and you know form your friendships and your friend groups and it's not easy it's not, but I guess that's why the official flower as of a military brat is the dandelion. Yes. Because we scatter to the wind, but we can grow and thrive anywhere. And that's what every military brat from adults to the ones being born in some military hospital right now just needs to embrace and say, this is making me a better person. Yes. Yes, for sure. Well, thank you so much for being on and sharing your story and your journey and, you know, talking about the military life. It's, it's, it's a good life. Let's face it. It is. It's a really good life. And it's an honorable life. And at the end of the day, isn't that what we should all live is an honorable life is in whatever way we serve, there's so many ways to serve your community and your country. The military is not the only way, but if everyone serves their serves others in some way, that's an honorable life, in my opinion. It is. <laughs> I agree. Thank you so much. Thank you, Grace. And thank you so much for doing this. This is a wonderful thing that you're doing, having, getting, giving people a platform to, to share their stories. And hopefully, you know, non-military folks listen to it and, and they can have a window into who we are. Yes, for sure. That is, that is the goal. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Take care. Bye. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Grace of Military Child podcast. If you enjoyed listening, don't forget to follow, like, share, subscribe, review, and comment. You can also follow us at Grace of a Military Child podcast on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more podcast-related content. If you or someone you know is a military child who would like to be on the podcast, please send us a message to one of our social media platforms or you can send an email to grace.of.a.military.child at gmail.com. Tune in next Thursday to hear another incredible journey.